Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Thursday night and I'm going to take a shot at the Haftorah, which is being sponsored by my uh, new and good friend, uh, Jerry Schnitzer. It's for his uh, mom's memory. That's a, Jerry's not a young man, and his m- mom passed away quite a number of years ago. Uh, it's Hannah uh, Schnitzer, Hannah, they said he used to call it in the old country. Um, and, I mean, his family came here in 1880, so they've been in Baltimore for a long time. And uh, so we're paying tribute in, uh, in in memory of his mom. So thank you. Uh, we have a somewhat of a strange Haftorah, not so easy to understand. It's a classic, and that's uh, from the Hosea the prophet. And the reason that it's chosen for this week's parsha, in my opinion, it's pretty obvious. It's for the first pasuk. That's all. The rest is not nogeya to the parsha at all. Um, sometimes you have like that. The prophet Hosea, Hosea is um, one of those famous social critics from the Second Temple, I mean, I'm sorry, the First Temple era. He lived smack in the middle of that time, and he's, and he's for always blasting the Jews, uh, sometimes a little bit over-harshly, perhaps, in the opinion of Chazal, but doesn't matter. And he lived in a tough time, which was during the middle of the Kingdom of the North. So you will pr- possibly recall that in the time of the first temple, they started out with Shlomo Melch being the ruler of all the 12 tribes, but then after his death, it broke into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Uh, and here's the point. Uh, the united kingdom of Shlomo and David was from the house of David, which is the tribe of Judah. Um, but who founded the northern kingdom where Hosea lived? That was Yerobam, Yerobam ben about Jeroboam, who was from the tribe of Ephraim. And in general, most of the kings of the north, and there was a whole succession of them, and they killed each other. So it was not a single dynasty that ruled in the north, but were many different dynasties. It's like one of these banana republics. You know, a guy's a king, and then the son takes over, and the son gets bumped off after two years or so. And then it happens again and again and again. And really, during the several hundred years of the kingdom of the north, there was no stability, and there were revolutions all the time, and one dynasty got overturned by the other. And I shouldn't even use the word dynasty, because dynasty really means there should be more than two. And there were usually were not. So, thinking out loud right now, in the kingdom of the north, where our prophet today uh, was, was prophesying, over several hundred years, there was, as far as I can recall, two dynasties. Uh, that of Omri, Omri Achav, and then his kids, uh, Yehorim and Achazio. And then you had, um, or Achazin Yehorim, rather. And then you had the dynasty of Yehu, which was like a total of five kings. It was Yehu, Yoachaz, Yoash, Ram II, and Zechariah. And other than that, it was like one guy, and then he gets killed by the next guy, or his son gets killed by the next guy, and so forth. Um, and in addition to that, the northern kingdom 
is characterized by avodah by idolatry, by immorality, and by a social injustice. Okay, that's a pretty picture. Now, therefore, Hosea, of all the prophets, usually is blasting the Jews and saying, why are you doing this? Why don't you have any gratitude towards God? He's taking care of you. You're ungrateful. Things of that nature. And in this context, we have the Pusik that starts our Haftorah today, which in my opinion is usually not translated correctly. I mean, what do I know? I can only tell you the way I understand it. And it's a, the Hebrew is a little bit funny. And it says as follows. This Haftorah. He's, the prophet is recalling the past kindnesses that the Jews had from God or something like that. It says, Vayivrech Yaakov, Sedei Aram, Again, Yaakov fled to the fields of Aram. Well, that's what happened this week's Parsha. Uh, Yaakov Avinu ran away from Esau because his mother said that you're going to get killed if you hang around here. And he went to Aram, meaning to where Lovin lived. And then we all know he worked to get a wife. And for a wife, he guarded, or shamar, something like that. Now, most translate it as follows. He worked for a wife. Let me see over here. Jacob fled to the fields of Ram. He worked for a wife, and for a wife, he guarded sheep. Okay? So, um, the way you usually understand that is that uh, Yaakov came to love him, as we all know. He did not come the way uh, his father had come, or through Eliezer, with a lot of money. Uh, you will perhaps recall that, um, what do you call it? When, he, when Eliezer came, he was loaded. He had 10 camels worth of money, and he also had a blank check. And Yaakov came, and he had no money. According to some, that's why Yaakov cried. Right? And, um, uh, what do you call it? Hold on one second here. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, and that's, you know, that. And so instead, he had to say like this I want to marry your daughters. Your daughter, excuse me, I said that wrong. I want to marry Rachel. And I'll work for it. So I can't give you a dowry. I'm not coming like the other guy with 10 camels loaded with, with, with goodies with nose rings and earrings and jewelry and whatever, but I'll work. And therefore, he worked to get a wife. You could say it's a sign how poor he was, different from he explained in different sorts of ways. Okay? And then, um, and for the wife, he guarded the sheep. Now, it's a bit, little bit of a funny expression. Isha this and Isha that. And, you know, Rashi and others simply say, it's talking about the same wife, and he served as a shepherd for Lovin in order to uh, purchase the daughter, that is to say. In other words, he couldn't provide a dowry, so he, you know, the, the daughter. Uh, to me, and the Mitzvah's David says it also, it sounds better to say that he worked for wife A and then he worked for wife B, which means love and screwed him over. You and I know that originally Yaakov came and wanted to marry Rachel, but Lovin did a switcheroo, and by the time it's all over, 
he was married to both. And he worked for them. And the Mitzvah's Taka says, Meaning and he was broke, so therefore that's what he that's what he had to do. Now the only problem with this is that he really worked for Rachel. He didn't work for Leah, but you know, by the time Lovin finished cheating him, you could say that. Why does the prophet saying this? Um and then he goes on to say, Vanali hell he saw Mitzrayim. And think about Moshe Rabbeinu. And then the Haftorah goes, Hechis Ephraim Tamurim, which is a very interesting Pusik. Hechis Ephraim Tamurim. The Hebrew is not so simple. Domavolav Yitosh Vecherpaso Yashivlo Adonov. It's a little bit strange. Okay? Um, he wants to say, Hechis Ephraim Tamurim. Uh, let me get the English translation over here. Because uh, the prime made them angry. I'm sorry. Yeah, here we go. Sorry about that. Uh, Ephraim, I'm looking at my good old Bible hub over here. Ephraim has aroused his bitter anger. Uh, Ephraim has given bitter provocation. He's provoked bitter anger. Provoked him to anger. Um, all which is sort of correct. And Ephraim is like really bad. What's with this business of Ephraim? So the prophet who's doing our Haftorah today is living in the kingdom of the north during the reign of the dynasty of Yehu. And he calls it the kingdom of Ephraim because Yeram ben Nevat was from the tribe of Ephraim. And he led the rebellion against the Malchus based of it. And he set up the northern kingdom. And uh, therefore, very often you find the northern kingdom referred to as Ephraim. And indeed, uh, Ephraim turned out to be very sinful. The history of the tribe of Ephraim is a weird history. Why is that the case? Um, wherein lies the source of the disobedience and the idolatry and all the other stuff that happened in the north and other times in history as well? In my opinion, Hosea, who, according to Jewish tradition, for what it's worth, is from the tribe of Reuben. I don't know where they get that from. It's a psikta somewhere, so it's like an obscure medrash. Chazal don't make it so clear to me. If he asked me my opinion, it would sound like he's from himself, from Ephraim and Asha, but I don't know. But when you're criticizing Ephraim, you trace it back to, in my opinion, the first puzzle. Be'isho, Vayavar Yisrael, Be'isho, Be'isho Shamar. That Yaakov had to work twice for two wives. No, he was cheated. The story, as we all know, is that Yaakov came to uh, Lovin's uh, territory. He met Rachel at the well. He fell for her at first sight and vice versa. He wanted to get married to her right then and there. Had he had money, he would have done it, like Eliezer did. He didn't have any money, so he, he told Lovin, I want to work, I, I want to marry your, your younger daughter. Uh, Lovin cheated him by sending Rif, uh, Leah instead, as we all know the story. And then things got complicated because um, you had married the two sisters and one had children one after the other and the other was childless so in other words the wife he loved was not the wife that he had children with until much later and this embittered Rachel so it's quite a story and she saw her sister it's the Parsha day having all these children and she didn't and she said this is going to kill me 
And she was in a constant anguish. And Yaakov was, was provoked by her. He says, As we all know what the Parsha says. So when she finally had a child, uh, Yosef, um, is that supposed to be the first one? Well, he came much later than the other than the others. But if you go by what Yaakov really wanted, he wanted just to marry Rachel, and he expected Yosef would be his firstborn. Now she get the priority. So you see where I'm going with this. The, the family of Yosef could take this one of two ways. They could say that we've been cheated of our birthright by circumstance, by Lovin's uh, trickery and whatever you want to call it. And really, 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 we are the ones, because we're the children of our father's chosen and favorite wife, who should be the leaders of Kla Yisrael. Or you could say, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Somebody else can get it. The tribe of Ephraim, that's Yosef's son, Ephraim of Menashe. So that's interesting. You have a tribe that comes from Yosef, from Rachel, and the mother is an Egyptian. Um, unless you say it's, you know, the Dina's daughter and all that. But Pashim Shad is she married an Egyptian. So it's a strange Yechus. And what do we know about the tribe of Ephraim? Well, from day one, they're causing trouble because they left Egypt early. Remember, they got killed along the way. They they, they thought they knew when to, when to leave. They wouldn't listen to others who tell them, wait until a, a prophet shows up, and they all got killed as a result of that. Later on, when they get to um, the land of Israel, they're complaining to Joshua, who is an Ephraimite? They don't have enough land. Later on, when it comes to... Uh, 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 Gideon and and uh, what's the name Yiftach, the tribe of Ephraim is always borching and complaining they weren't treated with the proper precedence. Uh, as we know, Gideon spoke to them diplomatically. Uh, Yiftach didn't, and Yiftach killed him out forty thousand of them. And then when the kingdom finally gets popped up, God picks through the prophet Samuel, Saul, who interestingly is from Rachel but not from from Ephraim. You see. Not from Joseph. And then when Saul gets knocked out, you have the kingdom of David, which is from Judah. In all these places, you can be doggone sure that the tribe of Ephraim is is uh, angry and they see themselves shunted to the side. Really, they should see have the private primacy. And this is one of the reasons why Yeram ben Nevad, who is an Ephraimite, leads a rebellion where he not only breaks away from the Malchus based of it, but he sets up a kingdom with himself as a head. And when his family was wiped out, as eventually was, most of the kings of the north were from Ephraim. And they're angry. And why are they angry? Why did God pick that, you know, the base of Migdash should be a chvase in Yerushalayim? Uh, does God prefer, uh, you know, Judah and Benjamin to us? And eventually this leads to Ephraim leading the Jews into a different religion. That's what Yeram ben Nevat did. He made the golden calf, uh, which was the official religion of the kingdom of the north all throughout its period. You could possibly say the golden path was a screwed up form of monotheism, but nevertheless it's a Vodazara. And who's the one complaining about this? Hosea, our prophet. And in my opinion, what he's doing is he's saying the, the source of the problem goes back to the very beginning when Yaakov ran away and had no money. He had to go and, and, and work for Loman and that allowed Lovin to cheat him. See, if Yaakov would have had cash in hand, right? If he would have had cash in hand, so then, what do you call it? Never would have happened that Lovin would be able to cheat him. Because he said, listen, I want to marry your daughter. What do you want? $50,000? All 
don't know, whatever the, uh, the sum was, here it is, okay? Love and take it or leave it, like Eliezer did. Love on knowing him as we do. But he said, okay, you know, uh, how about my older daughter? No, I'm only interested in the younger daughter. Take it or leave it, okay. But it wasn't like that. Yaakov showed up, broke. He uh, stayed for a month in Lovin's house as a guest. And then, you know, he asked for employment. And then he said, I'll work for your daughters. So Lovin had the upper hand. Lovin was able to screw him over financially and otherwise. And he left him with a tangled uh, married life and a tangled legacy of ill will among the children, especially those of Rachel, who, you know, grow up saying we should really be the bosses around here. And then as time goes on in history, you see this, you know, repeated that the tribe of Ephraim and Asher don't get the top position. Um, and they resent it. And one of the ways they show their resentment is by, you know, challenging the basic verities of the Jewish religion, which in the, tri the time, especially of Bias Rishon, I don't think we appreciate this, was character, the Jewish religion was characterized by an extreme divine favoritism for the house of David and the tribe of Judah. If you're telling me Yerushalayim is the Erech Kodesh, uh, then you're displacing Shiloh, where the Mishkan have been, hey, where did Shiloh was located? In the tribe of Ephraim. So the Ephraim might say, what, our place is nothing now. And the headquarters of God have moved to Jerusalem, and you're not allowed even to have, as you all know, the din. You have to get rid of all the bombas and all the rest of it. This was pretty uh, angry. And Hechis Ephraim Tamrum, therefore Ephraim is going to speak bitterly. Okay? That, uh, you know, God's really angry at him. And how do they translate? These these verses are different. Difficult. Ephraim is aroused his bitter anger. God will leave him off. Will leave on him the guilt of his bloodshed. And will repay him for his contempt. Right? God will repay him for his contempt. Meaning, Hashem is angry at the tribe of Ephraim for being angry at God. I'm taking care of you. You see? It's a, a strange, weird relationship. And he goes on to say, Kedabra Ephraim says, Nasa Yisrael, when Ephraim, you know, speaks harshly, okay, Kedabra Ephraim says, people trembled, he was exalted in Israel, but he came built, became guilty of Baal worship and died. So in other words, there was a time when you, the tribe of Ephraim, commanded respect, but now that you've been in power, you show that you're all idol worshippers and things like this, and now you're all going to die. And you even go in to make idols, and so on and so forth. So, in other words, you see an attempt by the prophet to try to analyze, by Hashem, try to analyze what was the problem of Ephraim, which, I want to remind you, ended up in the destruction of the, of the, of the ten tribes. They never did change. They never could go back and say, we made a mistake in abandoning, abandoning the Malchus based of it. They never could go back on their word and say, maybe we should um, bring the, the Judaism back. I mean, what kind of Judaism was practiced in the time of Hosea in the north? Because it was a form of Judaism. So I'm going to tell you, it's very interesting. They obviously practiced many of the institutions of Judaism, but certain central ones they didn't. And by that, and those are the ones that have to do with favoritism. As we know, when the Beis Amish was built in the area of Judah and Benjamin, the uh, Nestor Abamos, no one else was allowed to have a um, sacrifice place, an altar, which was pretty infuriating to those who had had them until now. 
And you have to be machnia yourself. You have to submit yourself to being dominated by the Jerusalem clan and the Beis Hamidish uh, brigade of the Kohanim and Levim and the Judahites and others who were running the show over there. And you, the regular Jew, has to go from far away three times a year, bring your stuff there. That could be a pain in the neck. Uh, why is it like that? Why would God pick one tribe over the others and put it in such an inaccessible place? This was something they couldn't swallow, and therefore they could only say, they could only say, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> a little under the weather here, um, they could only say that, um, that part I don't believe. I believe 95%, but I don't believe 5%. I believe in Shabbos, I believe in Kashrus, I believe in Tars Mishpacha, I believe perhaps in the Isra of Avodah I don't believe in the Shol Shregolim, which has to take place Tafka in the House of David and in, in their place in Jerusalem. I don't believe God will show that kind of favoritism and not to me. Not to be more even Stephen among everybody. This, my friends, is exactly what happened with the Christian religion and to an extent with the Muslim religion. They said, we're willing to believe in one God, we're believing this, that, and the other, but we don't believe in the election of Israel, that the Jews are God's favorite people. We find that very offensive, and we reject it, right? Instead, we say, anybody, as long as you believe in Yashka or something like that, it, it, it is beloved by God. It can't be that there's like a favorite uh, group over there, unless you're a certain type of fundamentalist Christian, but Ruba de Ruba is not like that, and the Muslims call the So, what is it that bothers them? I don't like the idea that God likes somebody else other than myself. All the other parts of religion I can believe, but that I take second place where somebody takes first place, that I can't stand. And that seems to be the chip on the shoulder that Ephraim had. And it led them, as I think you know, I assume people listening to this podcast know a little bit about the Tanakh. And so what happened to those ten tribes when they formed their own kingdom in the north? It wasn't simply that they formed their own kingdom in the north, but because Judaism was so intertwined with the base Hamikdash, Malchus base David, in order to form your own kingdom of the north and have nothing and boycott the south, you had to say we do not believe in the pilgrimage festivals in the Shal Shogalim taking place in Jerusalem, right? Um, because why should that be? Why should it only be in the tribe of Judah? That's not right. And Yoram ben Davod, who was the Ephraimite led the charge to creating a new religion. Well, what do you mean a new religion? Not exactly a new religion. They say made a golden calf, which is true. But not the idea, per se, of the golden calf. It was the idea that this golden calf is representative of Hashem, and you don't have to go to Jerusalem in order to fulfill Pesach, uh, uh, Shavuos, and Sukkot. You can do it in a different way. And it says that he set up two temples with golden calves, one to make it more convenient for the people. One was in the southern part of his kingdom, what you and I today would call central Israel, where I hope to be going on my trip soon. Another one all the way up north in the Galilee, let's say. So if somebody was Jewish and living in the north, um, and it came to Shalosh Regalim, and they did have the Chumash, the Chumash doesn't say the word Jerusalem, it just says to go to the place that I designate. They could claim, and they did claim, that the place God designated are the two headquarters of the Golden Kiv, and Don and Basel. Um And it, it kind of worked. And people seem to have gone along with the idea, yeah, why should it only be 
Malchus be seven. Why should we have to go all the way to Kingdom of Judah? Why can't we? Uh, we why is God favoring them over us? It's not true, and therefore we can go wherever we want. Now you and I know over the course of time, the 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 base of mix was vindicated because what happened in the north? They didn't simply um, have a Judaism minus the pilgrimages to the temple in Jerusalem. It morphed into um, a degenerate form of a of a, a, a zara. I repeat, a degenerate form of Odazar, which the prophet in Arhav Torah famously describes in the following words. He says um, in in uh, 13, uh, where is it now? It's all famous stuff. Kedabra finally says, now they're even worse. And they make idols, um, literally idols, and what do they say? And the priests say to the idols, If you shecht a person, if you do a human sacrifice, you get to kiss the idol. In other words, it wasn't simply a form of Judaism minus the preference for David and, and the tribe of Judah. But it never stays still in that point. It proceeded, it progressed, or regressed, if you want, to the point where they went for full on of Zorah. Because they even ended up having human sacrifices, and as, as Rashi says, "Hakom rim omel Yisrael, Misha zavech benola vodazara k'dayel yos no shakaegel," that anyone who shechs his son as a human sacrifice, uh, I don't know how they worked that out with the Akeda, but that's what they said, is a high standing, and he gets to kiss the idol, which must have been a high honor, a high madrega. Somebody would actually kill a child in order to kiss the idol. That's what it degenerated into. You understand? That's what it turned into. Now, if that's the case, you can't tell me it's just a form of Judaism, but it's a Fryan form. It's a vindication. It's a very sad vindication of the fact that when the Torah says there's one way to do Judaism, and if you and there's not a second way to do Judaism, if you tamper with it, you're gonna mess the whole thing up. That's what happened. That's what happened. That's what we see in our in our, our Torah today. That it wasn't simply they they were angry over the fact that Rachel had been uh, cheated or I don't know, something like that way back when, and therefore they should be the top dogs and Ephraim should rule the roost and Ephraim should tell everybody what to do, all under God's uh, guidance, not true. It turned eventually into a situation in which they created not only a, a separate Judaism, but it turned into a totally separate religion with human sacrifices. How they explained to themselves um, that Judaism somehow or other allows Human sacrifice, I don't know. They obviously read the Akedah in a funny way. I'm very serious about this. They read the Akedah in a funny way. But the key point is the Komrim, the priests. You see, the problem is, once you start a religion, you have to have a priesthood to run the clergy, to run the place. The clergy is in their own group, with his own self-interest. And one of the things the clergy wants to do is, you know, give us money and power and, and this and that and the other. That's what the clergy is all about. I mean, it's one of the things they do. Uh, and therefore, they will tell the, the, the flock, they'll tell the worshipers all kind of ideas that will occur to them and say God told them to, to do it. The Rambam says this, beginning of Hilchus of And so that's what happened in the north. Yerobim ben Nevat abandoned um, the base of Megdash. He set up his own priesthood, it says, his own levies and so forth. Who are they, what do these guys do? What are these guys working for? They're working for themselves. And they encouraged more and more idolatry on the part of the people, 
and took the whole place down. Because in the end is, the whole north was wiped out. And although there is a debate in the Mishnah whether the, the ten tribes in the north are coming back or not, one uh, rabbi says they are, and one, one says they aren't. Think about that. The whole of Ephraim, Menashe, and Yisachar's one are never coming back. Um, it's due to these uh, uh, inherent bad mistakes they made long ago, which is why in our Haftorah, at the end, they include the famous passage that we do in Shabbat Shubah, which is, you know, Shuba Hashem Ad Yisrael, Ad Hashem Al Kecha, Kicha Return, do Shuba, repent. Because you're going a bad path, you're going to crash. Right? Asher Lo and don't rely on some Geisha allies to save you because they won't do so. You see? Um, instead, you have to go and, and hope that God will be the do. Eya Katal Yisrael. Ephraim, Maliod Batsabim. And the prophet is saying to the prophet, Ephraim, what do you need these idols for? They're not going to help you. You understand? Um, you, 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 you don't get it. But he ends with the Pasuk, which is so powerful. If you only were smart, you would understand that the way God runs the world is Yashar. It's straight. The righteous prosper through it, the wicked uh, stumble through it. The Darchi Hashem that he's talking about, I would say, is God clearly chose Judah and David. And if you want the, the Levi, the priesthood, those are Leah people. Judah, David, Aaron, Kohanim, Levim, they're all from Leah. They're not from Rachel. They're not from Rachel. Uh, it's a bummer, but that's how it is. And for whatever reason, Darche Hashem, God chose that Leah should get married first. And God chose, no one else, that Leah should have the kids. And God chose that, that, that you know, the things should proceed this way and that way. Tzadikim yelchabam poshim yikoshabam. The people who take God's ways and follow them, meaning if you say, this is what Hashem wanted, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow it. They will prosper. Uposhim, the wicked, Yikoshmom, will be taken down, bump through it. Since you guys in a tribe of Ephraim and those confederates are Poshim, you're, you're, you're sinners, you're, doing, you're, you're rejecting your destiny uh, because it's subservient to Judah and David. Uh, so it's going to eat kashlebam. You're going to stumble. It's going to take you down, and um, and that's what happened in in terms of history. So it's not simply a frumious speech. He's warning them that um, you keep up in this attitude, and pretty soon you're going to be gone out of here. You're not going to affect David and Judah. They're going to continue, and they're still there today. But Ephraim will be toast, and Ephraim will be history. And unfortunately, today Ephraim is history. There's nobody left from Ephraim, and all those other tribes. So it's a pretty heavy uh, deal. Oh, I think I went a little bit too long. But you see that this is one of those uh, rather bitter and heavy idea, kind of Haftoras, which the Prophet of Shea is, is famous for, or maybe notorious for. And anyway, that's what uh, appears to me. I wanted to thank once again Jerry Schnitzer. I hope this should be an Elias Nesham for his mom's memory. And with that, I bid you a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.